Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Big McEnroe, a.k.a. Rod Bailey. This is the Peanuts and Corn 2021 podcast, the Brandon series, and this is episode six. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to UGS Mag for hosting. I'm really excited about today's guest. I had a great conversation with a guy who I haven't spoken to since the 90s, um, although we have been friends on Facebook, like I'm friends with everybody, but uh, his name is Ken Jaworski, and uh, we go way, way back because he was in the skateboard scene, and I met him shortly after moving to Brandon, and then he was in the music scene. Um, you know, we jammed a little bit. He played drums for some of my bands. He had his own band called Sweller, among other bands, and he kind of kept the scene going in Brandon well after I left and many of us left. Uh, hosting shows and parties and making sure that uh, younger people had access to live music. So it's really exciting to talk to him. So we're going to get into that conversation shortly. Um, It's only two weeks until Brandon, the album that I've been plugging on this podcast, drops. So that's really exciting. So you can go on to streaming services and pre-add it to your library, and then you'll be able to hear it as soon as it comes out. I'm really excited for you to hear it all as one unit. Worked really hard on that record and um, hope you enjoy it. So I'm going to actually start with a song from the album because this, this is kind of a song that doesn't really fit with any of the conversations I had recently. So this is a song. Uh, this song is called 91 Bombs on CNN. So this This is kind of like, this is a memory I had about when I first heard about the first Gulf War um, and how surreal it was as sort of a young person who, you know, like it was on the radio, they're talking about it, giving the description and then watching this new channel called CNN and seeing these, you know, bombs in the sky and things like that for someone who had never really um, experienced any kind of war. This was kind of, uh, you know, an eye-opening moment for both conflict and also the way it was covered on television. So um, so I'm going to get into this song first, and then I'm going to get right into my conversation with Ken. We talk, about, um, we talk about skateboarding, of course, and Brandon, but really we wanted to get into music and um, how influential some of the, the tra- tape trading was in Brandon. And then finally, um, you know, his band, my band, playing shows in Brandon and keeping the faith um, of playing in Brandon and keeping the culture going. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, but I'm going to get into this song. This is called uh, 91 Bombs on CNN. Check this out. I delivered pizza after school Driving in my Honda on the radio They broke the news Some guy named Saddam getting bombed for opposing views For stolen jewels, somebody's broken golden rules Get back to the shop, green bombs blowing on the tube All the talking heads, cruise missiles, B-52s And Tom Brokaw jaws that this is not a drill And Wolf Blitzer kicks that this is really real All the world watch for eight days solid Special coverage are we psyched or are we solid? Were they saving Kuwaitis or did they do it for ratings? The explosion of cable to mark the end of the 80s Till everything is sensations All the news is breaking The Chiron raking, the seance faking Digest in 10 seconds or less Now repent Fast food of the news My attention is spent
what have you for us at this moment? There are strong indications here at the Pentagon that this uh, war may, may be beginning right now and that the president may be going on television later this evening to explain what exactly is going on. First, I'll just welcome you and thank you for um, joining me. This is uh, <laughs> really great to have you on. It has been a while, obviously, that we've since we've spoken. I, I just did a, did a podcast with with Piv Skid, and so we kind of focused on rap. And this is really a music podcast. Yeah. yeah. And your um, your sort of a legend in uh, in the uh, brand and music scene uh, for from punk rock and metal and basically anything that was loud. I think you were in every band uh, for a while. So I kind of want to get into <laughs> that. Um, but I want to get started with, you know, sort of your uh, origins in, um, you, you know, sort of alternative music, punk rock, metal, and also the skateboarding thing. Because to me, it, you know, to me, my introduction to you was probably someone said there's a ramp out in Green Acres. Yeah, you know, I, I seem to remember someone saying like there's a ramp out in Green Acres, and I went out there. I don't know with who, maybe with Tyler. And we just showed up and you were there and I think Pete was around and who, you know, who was in that posse at the time and how did you guys get into what you were into right off the bat? Because, you know, there's a bit of a different, it was a different click than yeah, all the West yeah, End guys sure. who were. Yeah, know. absolutely. I, I, I was just thinking about it the other day because I've been listening to this podcast and I've been kind of relating my own memories to, to what other people have said. And for me, I like my first interest when I was in about like the fifth grade was I got really into BMX okay. because there was actually a BMX track in Brandon out on, out past Crocus on First Street. Right. Uh, at the same time, finding out very quickly that a uh, my dad was not going to spend five hundred dollars on a on a freestyle bike, and b <laughs> I just I was a fat kid. I didn't have the like athleticism that was needed to do to do anything on a bike besides just ride it right <clears throat> but the neat side effect of that was that um in every bmx magazine there'd always be these ads for all these skateboard you know for skateboard distributors right uh down in california and so i'd look at the ads and, and they were always they'd always have like 50 or 60 skateboard decks on like a tiny little black and white ad so you could you had to like put your face right into the magazine uh and focus really well to, to try and see what the graphics on those decks were yeah and i remember looking at the the very first ones i saw like the gator and the roscop and all the like classic classic skateboard deck graphics that's where i knew that there was something there right <clears throat> and so and so, uh, and so, and from there, it just like just like you, it just it became a whole culture thing. I got obsessed with it. I got completely a hundred percent obsessed with it. And what about the kids around you? Obviously, you got obsessed with it, but was it uh, you know like other kids in your grade that were also obsessed with it? Like, how did the East End Posse come about? Not at first. Uh, it was just me and me and uh, my <laughs> my delinquent pal John. I think he he like kind of fell a few times and busted his ass and decided you know like this is a stupid sport and i don't want to have anything to do with it so he he bailed pretty early yeah and it wasn't until i hit junior high and i met pete and um i mean i already kind of knew pete because we grew up in the same end of town and and he was kind of a legend right he always has been yes and so uh i knew pete a little bit and uh and when I got to grade seven, there was the guys that would become the core of the Green Acre skate crew. And that was Trevor Anderson, 
and uh, a couple of guys like uh, Chris Edwards and Todd Ballingall and all these, all Jeff Brown, all these dudes that were really sporty dudes. Like they were total Jocko types, but for yeah. some reason, um, they they grabbed onto skateboard. They were also BMX guys, and I think that's how I knew some of them too was from the BMX track. But they really got into skateboarding pretty hardcore. Like I remember the first professional boards I ever saw um, were theirs because you know as soon as they decided they were getting into it, you know, they, oh, they're, my mom and dad are taking me to Winnipeg to buy a skateboard this weekend. You know, and it was like, yeah. oh fuck, like a whole different <laughs> lucky bastard, thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they'd go, you know, they came back from California days or wherever they bought theirs. And, and, uh, and then, uh, so that was, and it was, it was really strange. Cause like I said, they weren't the types, they were the type that five years later wanted to beat us up because we were, we were skateboarding, <laughs> but at the time they were totally into it and they really embraced it for a short amount. You know, as soon as they realized that girls weren't into it, they, they just, you know, like, <laughs> and, and around the, and it was, um, obviously they turned 15 and got their learner's permits, you know, and it was like, well, if I can drive, like, what the well, fuck I do I need a skateboard for, you yeah. know, right around the same time I got into skating, my dad got sick okay. and like, he went into the hospital with leukemia when I was in the sixth grade and he passed away uh i'm trying to think now it was it was canada it was the day before canada day on i think the the end of the sixth grade when oh. he passed away oh, so right when i was going through that transition of skateboarding um he was that was when when he was he was passing away and and it was really i mean i think looking back it was probably a really good thing that i had that support system there yeah. or it wasn't even really a support system it was just something to be you focus know, on be obsessed with and yeah. focus on and because i do remember that the very next day after after he died uh there was like a, a big to do at the at Brandon University for Canada Day and there was a big quarter pipe there and Stefan was riding his BMX and there were a few skateboard dudes around um uh so that day you know the day after my dad died I was here I was surrounded for the first time kind of by these like-minded skateboarding people that are wearing punk rock t-shirts and I felt like holy shit man this is my life now you know yeah it really it was a profound kind of transition i just i grew up overnight and when i grew up there was that was all there was was uh skateboarding Before we move on from skateboarding into music, because I got a lot of music questions for you, but I want to know, do you remember um, a skate-in at City Hall? Am I remembering yes. it right? Because um, yep. I brought it up with Stefan, and he didn't remember it at all, but I seem to think that he organized it. Oh, oh he did, and he was dressed like a lawyer, too. Oh, there's, there's, pictures, there's pictures on the internet 
uh, like on Facebook. I don't remember who has them, but somebody has the picture from the Brown and Son from the next day that had like the front page, I think, was a big like full color photo of like Jeff Brown doing a boneless in front of City Hall. Right. And then and then the inside photo, which was black and white. I remember there was Stefan and he was wearing like a trench coat. Like it's the <laughs> middle of summer, right? And he's wearing like a trench coat and he's got his hair all slicked back and his, you know, and he totally was dressed like a lawyer. And then <laughs> and then there was all these ratty skateboard kids. There was me and Scott Sinclair and Travis Powell. And um, I'm trying to remember who else was in the picture. There was Kenny Attridge. Uh, who was from the Green Acres crew. And then there was, you know, there was a bunch of us, Jeff Brown, and we're all, you know, sitting in, in city chamber, you know, looking like a bunch of scrubby <laughs> kids. Yeah. But yes, that was real. It did happen. And there is evidence of it. I mean, if you contact the Brown and Son, they probably have that on, on their archive. Sure. So you were pretty much a skateboarder all the way through junior high then, because I guess you would have gone to yeah. Harrison in grade seven then and sort of yep. had had your skateboard friends all the way through yeah yeah really because because those guys those guys didn't really give up on skating until like the end of ninth grade when it was like you know okay we're high school kids now um you know we're, we're not gonna play the you know do the kids stuff anymore we're all gonna get cars and get laid so <laughs> so skateboarding just fell off the radar completely for a lot of those guys and admittedly for me too i went i kind of I started realizing that a i wasn't very good at skateboarding yeah and b once again you know and b i really liked music yeah and i was actually kind of good at it when i when i learned to play that i i got my first drum set in the sixth grade about fifth or sixth grade and i and i'd never really played them that much but then around that same time again just a big transitional phase i started playing drums a little bit more and then i i started seeing bands um playing and I thought wow you know I could maybe do that and then once I practiced a little bit I actually figured you know like well, I'm, I'm okay on the drums like yeah. I can actually do this I'm a way better drummer than I am a skateboarder so right around the time that all my buddies were giving up on skating I was kind of doing I wasn't giving up on the culture but I was giving up on the idea that I was going to be a skater right because because it, it just wasn't in the books <laughs> And uh, I think it was the sixth grade when Pete, it might've been Pete who introduced me to Metallica. Okay. And, and as soon as I heard Metallica, I was like, that's my stuff. That's my stuff right there. I, I instantly uh, grabbed, grabbed onto that, L, that uh, San Francisco thrash metal uh, thing right away. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and I was a huge Metallica fan right through until probably like the eighth or ninth grade. But at the same time, Metallica actually helped a lot of people recognize some punk rock bands too, like, cause they were always wearing the Misfits shirts and, uh, well, even, I think one of the guys even had a, a Misfits tattoo, Okay. you know, so, so everybody that liked Metallica would check out the Misfits and they'd check out, you know, these other sort of punks that they referenced 
so but uh, and at that same time i started hanging out pretty heavy in the in junior high with trevor anderson and we've talked about trevor pat talked about trevor and stefan mentioned the kid in in green acres that had the tape collection well that was that was trevor and he was kind of my best buddy for like grade seven and eight and he was he did have this amazing tape collection that nobody else had right he had punk rock he had rap he had all this weird you know stuff that that nobody else had and it was like pat said he had kind of upper middle class parents that like to go to minot for shopping trips and they'd go to winnipeg for shopping trips and they'd always let him hit the record stores and he'd come back with all these tapes and uh, and he was always you know he'd always let me borrow them or let me tape them or or whatever so through that i i mean it was so in, in junior high i was listening to like black flag and circle jerks and doa yeah and then whatever skate rock kind of came through like snfu was kind of a skate rock band they got a lot of press in thrasher and yeah um, the wheat chiefs and uh, mcrad of course they did that one video with all the with all the mcrad songs and that was like my favorite favorite skate video yeah and so back to metallica real quick were you at this fabled metallica show at the keystone center I was. I was one of the 380 people that were there, <laughs> <laughs> and it was. And it was just. It was. It was hilarious. It was. It's a great memory. Um, and again, I didn't really know Pete, but Pete. I remember Pete being there and just freaking out in the front row because I mean we were all in the front row because you, right. you know, nobody. They couldn't really prevent anybody from <laughs> moving around. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I think I, I was there with Trevor and. Uh, a couple other people from Harrison, but it was, yeah, it was, it was quite a, quite a thing. Cause I mean, they had the stage with the big crosses on it and everything. And there's this, you know, this tiny, tiny crowd. It was, I mean, now after all the years I've been playing shows, I know what that's like to play to a big open empty room like that. And it is painful. Yeah. So, so it was, and I think it was only like three weeks after Cliff Burton died. Okay. So it was, you know, it was right after they had this massive tragedy and lost their bass player or whatever. And we were, we saw one of the first shows with, uh, uh, what's his name? Jason Newstead on bass. So. And what album was it in support of? Master of Puppets. Right. Hence yeah. the crosses. Yeah. That is wild. So It, it was wild. <laughs> So you mentioned um, that you were getting into drumming and that you s- were seeing live music, seeing that, you know, maybe this is something I could do. So what, besides Metallica, what el- what other kind of things as a young person, like in junior high or early high school, were you seeing that was put- making that influence? You know, there was, uh, once once the skate parks opened up, I remember we did have a couple of jams at the 26th street warehouse where we had a few people with guitars and amps and drums and, and we did some, you know, played some black Sabbath tunes or whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, and then at spine and grind, we had a few, like, that's where a couple of my first bands actually debuted was at spine and grind. Cause, um, the, I mean, that was just an easy place to, to get a bunch of dumb kids to, to play. So, right. uh, there was there was a few shows there like and that you, was kind of my would you but that's where i mean you were there too i'm sure like the first time red fisher played brandon was at spine and grind yeah with jay singing and they're up on top of the 10 foot half pipe and it was like it was so cool right it was like it was so these, cool it was insane these cool, cool winnipeg punk rock musician guys and they're 
you know, the jamming on top of the ramp. And yeah, so I think I was playing at that same show with uh, a couple of dudes, Zach and, and Darren, and we were playing Metallica covers, I think, actually. Okay. So it's kind of embarrassing looking back now, but we got up there and played our few Metallica covers and then uh, Red Fisher played and we were like, oh, fuck, you know, like, oh, okay. You know, and this is this is what we're probably supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know, instead of trying to act like rock stars from from Los Angeles or whatever, you know. So that was that was probably the biggest, you know, again, that was kind of an eye-opening moment when when I saw Red Fisher play on that ramp. And they were so good and they sounded so good and they had good equipment and and it was the first time I saw like guys who I kind of admired you know up close doing their thing and it was it was kind of powerful that way same thing i think a few months later hoover effect played and uh they were another great winnipeg band uh, yeah i seem to thought and, and i thought yeah, that hoover effect played first but i don't i don't know for a fact no the hoover effect show was after okay. um and and yeah we we had a band involved in that too me and pete and justin and might have been iron bacon I don't know if we were called Iron Bacon at that time, but 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 we did play with Hoover Effect okay. at that show. I don't remember much about like I remember that those gigs happened as a kind of like as a fact, but I don't remember who was there or how many kids showed up or the reception. <laughs> Do you remember any of that? Not much. I, I think like I think it was like an average crowd for Spine and Grind most mm -hmm. of the time. It wasn't like there were a bunch of extra people there. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe just that there were more cool Winnipeg people there because those guys always brought a posse with them, right? The yeah, you know, because if you were getting the Red Fisher guys, you'd get all the all the Winnipeg BMX guys and all the you know, like they would Chan all come, would come out. out. So, so I think Ken there was Paul kind of a deluxe crowd. Yeah, yeah. Chris Staggles, all those those Winnipeg dudes that Jai. were way just yeah, Jai people that were just head and shoulders ahead of everybody <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah. So and that's and that's I think the the real first time that I like thought you know okay well if I can't if I can't be a skateboarder I'm gonna be like in a band that skateboarders want to listen to right. So where did you so, go from there? Obviously well, right after had, that, uh, right after that, uh, I met Ron and Woody, and we started uh, we started doing the thing that you know <laughs> started started all the you know the shows and and everything else. So it was yeah, like by the time I hit grade ten, I think it was grade ten, I met Ron, and then Ron and I met Woody and Scott, who was our singer for a short time. Yeah, and that was yeah, that was uh, that's when we started writing songs and being stupid and, <laughs> and so what was slacking that off what a was lot. that band called? The very first band was called Matthias Roost. We thought right. it was such a such a cool name because it was in reference to some dude who like flew a ultralight aircraft into Soviet Russia. Okay. Or something something dumb like that. You know, it was like some guy from the newspaper. And uh and yeah, and then after Scott left, we were called Battle Tank for a little while and we made it made a cheap like ghetto blaster tape. Yeah. And uh and then yeah, Scott left and then we became Swiller, really. Right. So going back though, just to back up a little bit, because I remember 
Um, I, I remember Justin being a skateboarder as well, I think, right? Justin Hayes. Yeah. Yep. He, he sold me his bass, which that bass went on to do a lot of bass lines for a lot of rap songs. Was it the Vantage? It was a Hey Man bass. Oh, the Hey Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a man bass, but he someone had written in Sharpie, <laughs> Hey Man. And so I had that bass for a long time. I finally oh, replaced yeah. it. Um, yeah, that's the one he upgraded. He had this Vantage bass that was kind of a piece of crap, but that was his upgrade from, so from you, the bass that you had. <laughs> so you had a band with them, like... I remember there's a, I believe on on uh, on YouTube there is a there's a clip of you guys playing at the Centennial Auditorium. Yeah, yeah. And Tyler and Pat are dancing. Yep. So would that have been Iron Bacon before Matthias Roost? When would that have been? Do no, you? that was at the same time. I was in I was in three bands at that at that Battle of the Bands. <laughs> <laughs> I was in I was in Matthias Roost and I was in at that time. I don't even know what we were called at that time, but it was Iron Bacon. It was me and Pete and Jay Bell and Justin. And Jay Bell and, and Justin, uh, right? Yeah, Classic Jay Bell lineup. was a singer, right? Jay Bell was a singer. Justin played bass. Pete played guitar that wasn't plugged in. And <laughs> I think if you watch that video, there's about three songs where Pete's not plugged in. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, that was two bands one night, and then I, I was also playing with some other buddies of mine, my stoner friends. We were called. Uh, Captain Beef Tongue and the Plant Eaters. Okay. And we played Black Sabbath covers. <laughs> nice. And so this was a battle of battle of the bands at uh, the Centennial Auditorium. And did any yeah, of your bands stage, win? Yeah, huge stage, huge BA. Yeah, massive, massive. And a really weak turnout, but I, we were there and having a great time. I remember that. But I don't remember that there yeah. was really anybody there. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I mean, the place could hold, I think, like a thousand people. And it might have been like... There might have been 150 or you know the first the first five rows were pretty full and uh and it was cool they had you know this big judges table set up like there were these authoritarian judges that were gonna you know give us advice on our musical careers and so did and, any of your uh, bands win it no uh that was the big upset of the night was that this band from like can't remember where they're from they're from some, some like really religious small town but they were like a glam rock band and they okay. wore like the silk shirts they looked like uh like the black crows or something you know they were long hair silk shirts bell-bottom pants and gold chains like they had the whole glam rock look and they were but they were all like our age they were all like 17 <laughs> they were called dick and jane okay. and they had like a man and they had a manager and a publicist and like and uh and they came like roaring in and, and I'll, I'll never forget because we were loading in our stuff in the back and we had all these crappy like 30 watt solid state amps you know that we got from pawn shops and and we had made a we'd taken a bike an old clothing rack not a bike rack a clothing rack and we made like a, a, a thing where we covered it with paper so that our singer could burst through the paper that had our logo on it. <laughs> Which band on is this? On a tricycle. Which band this is this? This was Matthias Roos. Okay. That, that, there is video of that on, on YouTube too, I believe. <clears throat> so, so anyway, but, but here, these guys were loading in like new marshals in road cases oh, and we were loading in our coat rack, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Hey you, you're a wild 
I seem to recall but, uh, that um, Iron Bacon had a song that did a version of Wildflower by the Cult, only it was about <laughs> Stephen Goulet. Ila Fleur. Oh, but oh, oh! We might have done our own version because Red Fisher had had did Wildflower, but it was Guy Lafleur. Yes. Who plays hockey Guy in the, the NHL? Guy Lafleur. Yes, they had that, and then you guys changed <laughs> yeah. it to Steph and Goulet. I don't remember any of the lyrics. <laughs> Probably. Probably. I can't I can't say for sure, but that sounds like something we would have done. Because we were always copping everybody's jokes, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if so if somebody had a good joke, we'd try and try and steal it. All right, I'm gonna get back to my conversation with Ken just in a moment, but I wanna play another song from the Brandon Project. And we're gonna listen to this song because we're gonna talk about this song. This song is directly about playing a house party with ken as the drummer as a uh, because we were supposed to play play as post office that was tyler pat and i and maybe somebody else and we show up to this house party but tyler tyler didn't show up to the house party so then ken was our drummer and so that's what this song is about and so let's listen to the song and then you can check out uh me and ken talking about it so this song is called 91 brandon punks check it out trying to remember i want to know if you remember a certain house party that i have a song about on this brandon album where um we had a band called an on, on again off again band we meaning um myself pat and tyler we're all best friends and we had a mm -hmm. band called post office yeah we I would still play, have your tape you have my tape what i have tape? the post office tape somewhere oh, oh my god i need to hear this I don't have with a you post guys going tape. through the drive-through and stuff. Oh, that's that's not post office. That's Rod and oh, Tyler. Not? I don't care. 
that's what that's what uh, that's what birthed post office among other things where we just took okay a, we just took uh, a ghetto blaster and we rent and we ran around town and we just recorded ourselves it was it's just <laughs> a, a joke tape but then we started yeah, post okay. office and we had um we mostly did covers at a wakeathon at Neilan, and we didn't have a, <laughs> yep. we didn't have a real drummer. I think we just had a snare drum, and I think maybe um, Brian Hay was our guitarist. And um, but but one time we we decided to go to a house party and play. I, it might have been like a house that you was were in involved Oak Lake, in, right? Well, there was that. There was then, an Oak Lake party, yes, and then there was a, a party locally as well. There might have been a party at Sykes Place on 13th. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Iron Bacon played that one. Yes. I and think. so we were going to play it too, but Tyler was going to Tyler didn't show up, so it was just me and Pat and you drummed for us. Yes. And uh, we did a song called Scooter the Rabbit and we hadn't rehearsed or anything, but it was a really <laughs> basic song. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. That was um yeah, that was that was a crazy night. That party got raided by the cops, and I almost got carried away. That oh, night. really? Yeah, yeah. And I was wearing I was wearing a chicken bucket on my head. I remember uh, that, like a KFC chicken bucket on my head when the cops showed up. And here I was out, you know, on the front lawn, arguing with the cops, wearing a, <laughs> a chicken bucket on my head. It earned me the nickname. I was called the Colonel when I worked at Candlewood Books for years because of that. Right. Um... And so, would you have been in every band in th that night, just like most nights? No, I think I think just just Iron Bacon. I think was the only. I think there was another kind of me metal band that played, which is where we got the PA and the lights. Pretty pretty amateur. <laughs> and I do remember going out to Oak Lake and doing something out there. What can you? What do you remember? Yeah, that was a big party at, at Troy Troy Lennon's cabin. Um, and yeah, you guys, I don't remember who I was actually playing with that night. If it was Pete and, and it was probably Pete and Justin and Bell. Uh, because A, uh, I was, I think I was pretty wasted the whole time I was there. And and yeah, it was just, I don't remember much about that night at all. Right. Except for that I didn't have a snare drum stand. So I had my snare drum sitting on top of one of those box fans. <laughs> uh, like a big a big fan and I had to set my snare drum on top of this fan to hold it so I could play it and it kept falling off <laughs> so yeah it wasn't it wasn't a good night for music <laughs> I, I remember uh post office though did uh transmission by joy division oh okay okay yeah. I do remember that is that right no. I was blown away that you guys played a joy division song that was yeah that was our repertoire we played we played because uh Tyler would sing uh sing like um, what's the Joy Division singer's name? Why am I Ian Curtis? Like, yeah, Ian Curtis. Tyler could like get really deep with the register of his yeah, voice, I so he would see that. Yeah, he would. He would sing. Uh, he would, even though he wasn't even a Joy Division fan. I was the Joy Division fan of the group, but uh, he would he would sing the song. And yeah, we, there's a there's a DVD I can't find of us playing at a Wakeathon, and it's just like our our last year of playing where we were getting really silly and we're kind of we're doing half rap songs and we're starting to become what we would become in right. that you know like playing with a lot more bravado and stuff and yeah curtis yeah. warkington's with us and he's dressed in negligee and doing this like performance <laughs> art and it just got really really goofy but um yeah but i certainly remember you know you jumping in and being our drummer a few times yeah yeah that's <laughs> 
and those and those were those were the sort of the birth of all of that stuff right of farm fresh and of yeah uh swiller and and all the bands that kind of did well out of that little period i think um and, it, and we were all pretty close friends i think like we all we were all in the same circle yeah um maybe not good friends but we all kind of had common ties with skateboarding and with bmx and with music and it, it was it was such a perfect high school existence i don't think that kind of high school existence actually happens anymore yeah i don't know but it was pretty amazing it's like the whole group of us and it straddled schools a little bit too um but you know but the scene whatever we called our scene it was like <laughs> the music the skateboarding just the attitude of all kinds of stuff you know because like you i mean by mid high school i was still a skateboarder but i was not you know i was just getting more into music and girls and not yeah you know yeah i mean yeah you didn't want to hang out with with a bunch of dudes all the time anymore right it just wasn't the same wasn't the same thrill no (laughs) Uh, once once you got to know what what parties were like and girls were like and yeah it was a it was a it was kind of a harsh uh harsh reality to to hit at such a young age but it was kind of like yeah i don't know if i just want to sit on the curb outside 7-eleven for 12 hours a day anymore yeah yeah that (laughs) that parking lot lost its appeal time is when I started working at Candlewood um, which was one of Brandon's best places for weirdos it was uh, run by a weirdo most of the staff were weirdos and um, yeah I want to I want to get into that um, because you know I see I've been talking to a lot of people about obviously about music where did you get your music and we've you know covered a lot of like the country music center and some of the different places where you could get music in the city but i the book thing and the candlewood candlewood books being sort of a parallel in you know in the book world and i know you worked there so yeah tell us about you know that sort of the parallel there and and you know alternative culture through a bookstore for a for a town like brandon well it was okay the biggest thing was that don phillips the guy that owned it when I started working there, he was about 40. Yeah. Um, and he was a real honest to goodness music aficionado. He knew about every kind of music from classical to punk to country to, uh, you know, the only thing he didn't know basically was R&B or rap, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but pretty much anything else he could, he could list off the top of his head, you know, names and dates and album titles. And and he also had this massive, and, and Tyler or any of the guys that worked at Record Baron could testify that he had this massive CD collection that he kept at the store. I think when I left there, he had about 7,800 or 8,000 CDs. Hmm. Um, 
and all good. I mean, like there yeah. were there were no duds. This wasn't just like you know bargain bin um, cutouts. This was like good hand picked um, stuff. So so working there, there was the aspect of having a again like kind of a safe place where it was okay to to have long hair and be be a skid and and want to just listen to music and read books and and stuff like that but so there was that aspect um he introduced a lot of us uh to good authors you know punk authors uh, books about music that we might not have wanted to read otherwise he 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 forced me to read so many books about music that he probably grew my knowledge of music by you know 20 years mm -hmm. while i was working there just in what he forced me to consume and he was like that with everybody who paid attention if he if he knew you didn't really care about music he would leave you alone right. but if he knew that you liked music he would drive it into you <laughs> because he had that evangelical spirit right like oh you gotta hear this you gotta listen to this mm -hmm. And then he would go on to tell you who the producer was and who played guitar and you know like he knew every every detail about it this is produced by t-bone burnett you know you got anything by t-bone burnett it's gonna be good and and he taught me all these little things and and i still follow them to this day so let's go back to the um to your bands so mm -hmm. um you said eventually you uh you started swiller so mm -hmm. take me through sort of that and i want to get into the legendary no effects show and what you remember <laughs> about that uh okay um well i mean there really wasn't much to it we never really did that much besides just play hometown shows and and record a couple of demos or whatever mm -hmm. um i, I kind of cringe now when i go back and listen to that stuff i know it was appropriate for the time but yeah. it, it's it's kind of hard to listen to now and um but we were okay you know like we were good at what we did i think and we the big part of it was that we we really wanted to play for people and we didn't want to have to travel to play for people we just wanted to be lazy and do it at home right and um and so plus i mean i had a kid when i was really young i you know uh when i was 20 i had my son so i couldn't go out on the road or do any of the you know classic <laughs> band things yeah so so we were we were content to just stick around and i mean not, neither neither one of the other guys were really all that motivated to do anything more than that either so but it was fun i mean we 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 put on a ton of shows like a, i think a, a couple hundred shows between those years um between 91 and and about 2002 put yeah. on a lot of shows with some pretty big bands and uh and got chances to play you know with with lots of them and and um you know we played out a little bit too we got to play some cool shows in winnipeg and regina and saskatoon uh and uh but it was it was just it was just we were we were like <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing you know right, right. i tried i tried I, I read all the books and and um you know did all the research on how to how to tour and how to you know i bought bought all the a copy of book your own fucking life and all that stuff thinking you know like we're, we're really gonna do this but uh it was it was just it was just dumb teenage fun you know 
And so you're so basically you're in the band and you're um because were, were you the singer for a while there or was that an on and off yeah yeah you were the whole time for most of it actually yeah we had justin sang at the start and then um he wasn't kind of reliable enough to to count on for shows because he was working all the time and stuff so so i just sang and when we recorded both of the I think uh, the four times that we recorded it, it was always me that were was uh, doing the vocals. So, so yeah, I was the singer, singer um, slash drummer, which is hard to mm-hmm. do. Like, I love the local bands more than anything. Like, I love playing with Red Fisher, and I love playing with 12 Eyes, mm-hmm. and I love playing with Box Lunch and all the Winnipeg bands, because we all got to be really good buddies with those guys, and we'd hang out after the shows and, and party, and it was kind of like the skate park all over again, right? It was like this, yeah, these Winnipeg, Winnipeg skaters and BMXers that we all kind of halfway knew already would come out to Brandon and, and party with us for a couple of days, and... and those were my favorite shows, but because the the big out of town touring band shows were always way more stressful, and there was more money involved. And yes, yeah. Um, so so when I look back at the shows I enjoyed, not many of them were those big, you know, fancy ones. It was more the the little homegrown shows that appealed to me. Because a lot of the times you were you were personally on the hook for some of these big shows. Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah. yeah. my wife will tell you there was there was many times that that um you know i'd I'd come home and say yeah you know what i don't i don't have the rent money anymore you know (laughs) i gave it i gave it to the day glow abortions (laughs) (laughs) you know like that, that was that was part of being a promoter and putting on shows was that you know you had to you had to pay them so yeah and most bands, if you couldn't pay them, were really cool about it and said, oh, don't worry about it. Just, you know, give us 20 bucks for gas or whatever, and we're good. Uh, when you were talking about the local guys, right, the bands yeah. from Winnipeg and stuff. But when you signed a contract, like whenever I brought in all the big bands like Lagwagon and Strung Out and No Effects and all those guys, like they had contracts and you were you were entering a binding legal agreement that you were going to pay these guys a thousand bucks. Yeah. You know, and, and you didn't know there might be 20 people there. Right. So, so, so I mean, some you know, did you, you have could, some you could bank on some things? Did you have some? Disasters? Oh yeah. Oh for sure. Yeah. Not not so much. Um, yeah. No. There was. I'd say that there were probably like a dozen times where I really lost my shirt, like where I really just lost a bunch of money. Yeah. You know, <laughs> for 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 nothing. Uh, but but the amount of good shows that went went over more than made up for that and i mean we never i never i never made any money doing it it was always like a pizza and some beer when the show was over was about the most payment that we ever got 
Yeah. Uh, and and likewise, we'd always give the out of town bands the money and give the no, the local guys nothing, which is why we started doing a lot of locals only shows because then we could actually keep some of the money. Yeah. Because we were sick of giving it away to the other guys. I mean, it's pretty crazy that uh, you know that's what you need in a small town is someone like you who's willing to who does it for the love to the point where they're willing to continue to lose their shirt because some people would you know get into it and they'd do a show or two and they'd lose their shirt and they'd be like I'm out and you stuck with it and uh, you know kept a culture going despite the fact yeah, that I've it's got, a loser I've got a bit too much of an entrepreneurial spirit sometimes I'm, I'm not good at it and I and I try but yeah no it was never it was never a, any kind of uh, money-making endeavor but uh, but yeah no for me for me uh, live shows are catharsis um it's still to this day if i'm struggling with whatever with mental health with depression whatever i i go to a show i mean that's one of the reasons that this past year has been so awful yeah is that that's a coping mechanism for so many people is to just go watch a band play yeah or watch an artist perform and and we're cut off from that but for me, and, and, and the, big, the, big, the biggest thing for me, actually, what I got to learn after I put on all those shows was, was that seeing someone else having that same catharsis was even more valuable because then I was giving it away to other people, you know, like I, I could see these, these troubled kids at some of these shows, yeah. like they were troubled kids and, uh, and they'd come and release their anger and they'd, they'd slam dance and they'd throw shit around and they'd break chairs that I had to pay for. But, <laughs> but you know what, like it was worth it. And it was, and I would see that happening and I would think, man, this is, you know, I'm, I, I kind of felt like, like that was my calling almost, you know? Yeah. So let's talk about this um, legendary No Effects show. What do you mm -hmm. remember about? So did you do that show? Yep, it was me and Tyler actually. Okay. Uh, I needed help because I was scared to. Uh, I was scared to do the show, and it was it was kind of a funny one because I didn't even know they were touring or anything, and they were my favorite band at the time because Justin, I think Justin Hayes had introduced me to them and he gave me a CD. Mm -hmm. And I just loved them. They were they were my favorite band. And I used to deal with this agent out in Vancouver named Jay. And uh, this one, you know, the, I'm, I'm sitting in my living room listening to No Effects. And Jay calls me and says, hey, Ken, I got a show for you. You ever heard of this band called No Effects? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I have actually. And he says, yeah, they're coming through. They want to play there. And I said, and I was like, well, like, you know, like, how much do they want, you know? Because, because you know, I, I I could almost guarantee these guys are on Epitaph or whatever. They're not just gonna play for two hundred bucks and a pizza or whatever. Right. And and so he told me, and I think the the deal was it was like 
a thousand bucks. Plus we had a rider that we had to fill with like food and booze and, and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So I was really on the fence about doing it. And I kind of, I remember I was in record Baron, uh, when Tyler was working there at the time, I believe anyway, or maybe yeah. he was just hanging out, talking to Carruthers or whatever, but, um, uh, I was talking about it and I said, yeah, I just don't know. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it. And Tyler kind of piped up and well, I'll help you, Kenny, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, if someone else is willing to shoulder some of the responsibility, I mean, not so much the financial part, but just the like running around and trying to find a venue and filling all this, you know, fulfilling all these little tasks that had to be done, putting up a thousand posters and yeah. promoting it. So yeah, that was the only time that Tyler and I ever sort of did one of those things together. But I think it was just because I, I was basically not going to do it, but Tyler kind of wanted me to do it. So he, he offered to help me. Right. I think I, I, I think I swiped his, his mom's, uh, she had a really cool Tupperware hamburger press, like a hamburger patty maker. Mm -hmm. We were making hamburger patties for, for, so we could feed the bands. <laughs> I think I, I think I stole that hamburger press from oh, his no. mom. So oh, no. probably, I probably owe them for that. <clears throat> the sneeze beast probably look, look back on me as a, as a, as a, a bit oh, of a scoundrel that uh, made off with their, their hamburger press. I'm sure it's fine. There's so many people in that, <laughs> that house over the years. Um, so how did, so what do you remember about the show itself? How did it go? It was great. It was it, like, I was stressed out, uh, because again, I think we were very close to being, if, I think we were over capacity. We were turning people away at the door, mm -hmm. which is stressful because, uh, when you're putting on a show and you're turning people away, then you've got angry people that are outside yeah. and they're going to start making noise and bothering the neighbors and that's going to get the cops showing up. And, and so I remember it was a little stressful in that regard because, because there were way too many people there. And, uh, but at the same time, they were my favorite band and I was, I was hanging out with them and getting to see them play. So it was, it was, uh, really a really cool night. So and was, I mean, uh, the guys, the guys from Propagandi came out and we were like playing street hockey with the guys from no effects and Propagandi in the afternoon at, at Valley view community center, you know, oh, like, really? come on. Yeah. Yeah. There was like, like all a bunch of, a bunch of the fat records guys are, are all playing street hockey out, out in Valley view, you know, That's hilarious. It, was, it was really crazy. Cause it was at Valley view community center. And so yeah. do you remember how many tickets you would have sold? Was it, is that bigger than park? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, not not a whole lot bigger. I think I think it had a, about a two hundred capacity. So so it was, but it didn't have a stage or anything. Mm -hmm. So what we had to do, and again, this is where Tyler and I had to had to like work together and coordinate. Was was we actually had to put a stage in? Yeah. Um, to to support that kind of a show. So we were like going around. We rented rented stage sections from the Keystone Center oh. so we could put a stage in. We had to like hire a truck to go, you know, pick up these massive stage <laughs> things so we could bring them to the Valley View Community Center. All right. And uh, so the, the setup was the setup was a little stressful. The the start of the show was a little stressful, but and, and it was dumb because we we of course wanted to play that show. Farm Fresh was on that show. Yes. And Swiller was on that show. Yeah. So of course, and if it wasn't stressful enough, I also had to play. Yeah. 
and uh, you know get on the stage and ignore what was going on in the venue for for you know a quarter of the show which is that's a whole nother level of stressful is when you see shit going on in the venue that you're responsible for and you're on stage you can't even do anything about it yeah (laughs) but it was fun it was great uh we i was introduced to you know a lot of cool people and and face to face was great that was the first time i ever saw them live and uh and you guys put on a great show you totally brought that crossover crowd we had we had so many people in there that were just there to party like it was yeah. it was one of the definitely one of the best shows that brandon ever had for sure for sure yeah i think i had a bunch of friends because there were because i don't remember there being anything shady there were no fights there were no like i don't remember anything really negative happening that night at all and when we came away at the end of the night i actually gave the band more money than we were contracted for which made them super super happy right and uh yeah it was it was a really good one it was it it was probably where i should have given up you know like that (laughs) after that i should have probably said like okay no more shows because that that was you know as good as it's gonna get it's a legendary show uh, yeah yeah a lot of people still talk about it actually i still get people that bring it up when, when i run into them or whatever and uh it's it's kind of funny when when you you meet the i mean i still i still show up to whatever kind of events i can and brandon when i'm there and uh i bump into people and, and these younger guys that are they're that are into punk rock and they're like yeah so is it true that like Lagwagon played here and no effects played here and it's like yeah i know it's hard to believe but yeah they did <laughs> it was so weird at the time that we were hosting bands like that we had a couple um you know up and coming bands come through that we we put on at the park as well. I don't remember if you know the one hit wonder Len. Um, oh yeah. yeah. But before they were a one hit wonder with, you know, selling a lot of records, they, uh, them and a, another band called hip club groove came through. I and remember played, to, played yeah. to like, you saw it was farm fresh hip club groove and Len, um, at the park community center to very few people. I think we played with them in Winnipeg and then we said, okay, we'll, we'll do another show in Brandon and, and, so I think we were like, yeah, so I remember that Winnipeg show, but show. I didn't realize that that was Len. Like yeah. that was that Le- band. Steal My Sunshine Len, but it was like, I think Steal With My Sunshine. the brother Sunshine's and sister like, that acted all creepy in the video. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I think yeah, that, yeah. that their hit was like 98 or 99 and this was 96, So they were still in the trenches back then. Oh yeah. Yeah, they, they were, were still they were really in the trenches. Yeah. Playing to like 30 kids in, at the park. Yeah, well that's, that's similar to, I put on a, a, a show with, um, a band called reset mm-hmm. uh that was again poorly attended i think there were like 12 people there or whatever and that that was uh a simple plan that oh, was okay. uh that's who that band turned out to be right. you know about about a year after they played they changed their name and then they became like one of the biggest pop punk bands in in north america but but when we played with them we were all just garbage you know <laughs> <laughs> they were on the same level as us <laughs> All right, I'm going to play one more song from the Brandon album. Um, this song is called 91 So Not Ready. It's called 92 So Not Ready. Pardon me. Girl 4. So this is another one of my girl series songs. And uh, this is a pretty serious song about uh, a pregnancy scare. Uh, so check this out. This is called 92 So Not Ready from the Mac- Big Mac and Row Brandon album. And then when we get back, uh, we will... Uh, 
conclude our conversation with Ken Jaworski. share of girlfriends but nothing serious crushes and phone calls girls so mysterious dropped me with no faults saw her in the hallway found a way to hang she was kind of hippie i was kicking hip-hop slang we made it happen doing dates and all the rest found myself listening to spirit of the west definite connection steady with progression by valentine's day i'm out shopping for protection our first time as described in the farm fresh song Yes, it was a mess, but the band played on And we stuck together through spring doing our thing Her by my side thought about buying a ring But at the same time, I'm headed to college Alone for the weekend, my parents at the cottage The house is ours, we're unencumbered Had a good time until the rubber ruptured A moment of panic, I dialed up the hotline Headed to the clinic the next day, we're not fine She took the morning after pill, a couple of scared kids Doc says we just gotta wait for her period She's late, and I'm about to graduate My mom sees the look on my face and evaluates I can't be around my girl, I'm too messed My life flashed in front of my eyes, so what's next? Finally she makes the call, we're all clear Stress in her body set her clock on its ear And I'm so relieved, easy on the mental She wants back to normal, but I just can't continue I feel the heel as I ended all immediate But things just aren't the same, I'd be lying, never meaning it It wasn't a near death, but near life I've barely done a thing, I'm just not ready for that married life it wasn't a near death, but near life I've barely done a thing, how can I be a parent, right? been on time before. I think I'm pregnant. Serving Brandon and area. This is CKX Television. Um, did you play any bars regularly or anything like that? Or was it always had to be DIY, build your own, you know, play at a community center? Like, did you ever um, play downtown I mean, in any we, of the bars or anything like that? Not till later. I mean, uh, not till probably the later later years because i mean none of the bars wanted us uh at all in the in the early mid 90s none of the bars in town wanted anything to do with with any kind of alternative music they wanted you know they wanted the top 40 cover bands right and and that's that's all they would hire so we didn't really have an opportunity i mean we'd go off to winnipeg and play at the albert or we'd play at wellington's or Mm -hmm. uh you know places like that but no there was no bars in brandon where you could actually play loud obnoxious music until probably the 2000 ish i think that's when the north hill inn became kind of a venue and uh right and the 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 old brandon inn downtown started started doing live shows with alternative bands 
but yeah, no, in that, in that time, there were no venues that would support <laughs> that would, that would even let us on a stage. Right. You had to have, you had to have like a press kit and a, and a demo tape and you know, they would listen to it and, and say, no, let thanks. you know whether you got the job or not. <laughs> so, <laughs> and here we are, you know, with our coat rack. <laughs> <laughs> So how long did you keep it going with Swiller? Or what else? What uh, else? I think we finished that one, and we finished Swiller in the, I think ninety six or ninety seven, maybe ninety eight. We we kind of dragged it out a little bit at the end. We kept having one last show or whatever, but I think it was completely done by about ninety seven. Okay. And that was that was good for me because I had a two year old at home, and I was you know. I was uh, totally in the trenches of of young parenthood and being being broke and responsible for stuff and I was working at the bookstore and uh, so I kind of needed a break especially especially from the band I think I still put on shows for for quite a while after that but mm -hmm. I wasn't really interested in playing the shows I just wanted to put them on okay uh, so and then I didn't I didn't really play again until uh, a few years later I started playing with John O'Halloran and, and Mitch and Mirko and those guys, but uh, yeah, no, the the after between like '97 and 2000, I just kind of concentrated on being at home with my my kid and working and paying the bills and stuff. And then, and, and lose, I, I mean, I only still had some kind of yeah yeah i couldn't i just couldn't take the take the risk and and by that time things had cooled off too because we had you know you guys had had moved away a yeah. lot of our original kind of fan base was they were all turning 18 and 20 and didn't want to hang out with a bunch of 14 year olds on a friday night right i get it yeah all ages shows are really cool when you're 16 but as soon as you turn 18 and you can go to the bar you know it, all ages shows don't have quite the same you know appeal that they used to so so yeah it, it just it, it's a natural thing right it has it has uh, generations and it has ebb and flow so i i don't think i don't think it it could have really lasted at the at that level for longer than it did and uh, someone who kind of stuck around I mean, I think part of the natural thing about a town the size of Brandon or a small city is that people move on. Um, you must, you know, you stuck around a little longer than certainly than I did because I was I, I left in 1992 as soon as I went to university. So you must have seen people, you know, these people at these all ages shows and then they get to a point and then they just split. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, of course, yeah. And it, and it, it's it's part of being in a town like Brandon because everybody that grows up in Brandon wants to get the hell out, right? So it, <laughs> yeah, um, anybody with any kind of cultural leanings, you know, anybody who wants to see art and listen to live music, and you, you just realize once you hit that age of eighteen or twenty, and you realize you don't have to stay. Uh, it was, you know, a lot of people had that had that moment at the same time, and that was a big chunk of the people that were our friends and our our supporters so so yeah that that time was was kind of everybody grew up and moved on and and that's like i said that's a natural a natural thing and i was growing up and moving on you know i didn't want to like i said i didn't want to hang out with a bunch of 14 year olds all all night and tell them not to destroy the fire extinguisher either <laughs> you know right. you know i was i was kind of tired of it too 
But you must have been tempted by, you know, like going to Winnipeg, playing at the Albert, a place that's a lot cooler than anything oh, that yeah. Atlanta had to offer. But you, you know, I guess you had started a family, like you said, yeah, young, no, it, and it so just, it didn't really and, wasn't and like an I option. Said, yeah, and, and the, 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 that band, I have no trouble saying that I'm always the most motivated person in the bands that I play in, right. <laughs> or I was back then anyway. I was always the one who was trying to push it to the next level. Like, we got to record, we got to go into a studio, we got to make a CD, we got to, you know, I was always the guy that was pushing for that. Usually the guys that I've played in bands with over the years are all kind of like just these easygoing dudes that don't really give a shit, and they're just along for the <laughs> along for the, the fun, you know? Yeah. I always tried to take it way more seriously than most of most of my bandmates did so and and that gets that gets tiring after a while too you know if you if you're the only one that's kind of really trying to move things forward so so when did you finally leave brandon uh not till uh i mean i kind of kind of came and went a few times uh i lived you know there's been a few a few spots where where our family has moved you know with it's always been within an hour distance kind of thing like we've never gone far uh, and just uh the first time we ever really moved away from brandon was just a few years ago hmm. uh we we moved out to uh to near the ontario border in the white shell i see and uh and we lived there for a few years and and now we're back in in winnipeg so yeah and you know what we're still looking at houses in brandon we're still like toying with the idea of going back oh is that right yeah yeah because uh it it needs brandon needs good people mm -hmm. <laughs> it really does and i'm not saying i'm good people but i'm saying uh i know how to get good people to do stuff <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and no, and like a lot of the cool people that we skated with and that we went to school with are still there. Like a lot of them are still there. I mean, I know a lot of us made the, you know, the trip out West or, or out East or, or to Winnipeg or whatever, but there's still a lot of really cool people in Brandon that deserve to like do fun stuff too. Like it's yeah. like, for example, the folk festival in Brandon used to be a huge event. Uh, I mean, you guys played the folk festival back in the day yep. and, and, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And it was actually one of the best folk festivals in Western Canada. And then the last couple of years, it's just gone. It's there's, it was mismanaged and now it's gone. So it's gone. It's not hard at all. No, it's, it's, it's dissolved. There is no, there hmm. is no Brandon folk festival anymore. And uh, so, I mean, part of me just wants to go back and start a new festival. Yeah, sure. <laughs> as stupid as that is, because that's not a realistic thing to just think you're going to be able to do. There's still a part of me with that same um, spirit, you know, that that's like, well, come on, somebody's got to do it. You know, if if uh, if we don't even have a folk festival, you know, what kind of you know what kind of culture does the city have well that's the thing it's the fight continues even where you, yeah you know, it really does it really does because uh, i guess the so, two aspects so yeah. are like as kids we were thirsty for so much outside culture like where do we get this music where do we get you know how do we learn about yeah. skateboarding like magazines and trips to minot through dubs yeah. and stuff and obviously the internet has leveled that but at the same time local culture putting on shows doing things takes local people who care about those things like you who would you know who would lose the shirt off their back to get kids into a room to see a band and blow their mind and that has to happen you know and the internet doesn't yeah, help with that yeah. at all right 
I think we got a fantastic conversation, Ken. Okay, uh, good. I want to thank you for joining me. That was amazing. A lot of fun to catch up with you, and you had some great uh, yeah, fun great to catch insight. up with you too. And and uh, I gotta say, I, I've I've really enjoyed listening. And and uh, I mean, obviously, I've got I've I've I know pretty much everybody you've you've spoken with on a personal level, and it's been really fun to to compare their reminiscences with my own because everybody sees things from such different uh places when you're you know when you're a teenager and when you're a young adult so it's it's been really cool to hear what other people were kind of going through and thinking about and at the same time that i was doing what i was doing it's 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 been a very cool uh journey to take right on well thank you for uh, for that for listening paying attention yeah, no, and, and, and contributing it's amazing all right, so that's the podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to UGS Mag for hosting. Hey, did you know that Peanuts and Corn Records is a record label and we've put out new music lately? Blowing your mind. That really does happen with record labels. Okay, so just so you know what's out, here's what's out. Uh, there's a new Pipskid single called I Will Not Stand for the Anthem. It came out on Canada Day. Very symbolic. you got to check it out. It's on all the streaming services and it's on our band camp. Peanutsandcorn.com No, sorry. Peanutsandcorn.bandcamp.com And then uh, a fellow who I work with who used to go by the name of John Smith now goes by the name of, listen to this, Bazooka Joe 204 So his new single is called Art School Kids. It is out on Bandcamp and on all the streaming services. So both of those, new records from Pipskid, new records from Bazooka Joe 204, produced by Big McEnroe. That's me. You gotta check those out. They're good. They're good. People like them. They give the they do the fire emoji thing on the social networking, and you know it's they never they don't do that unless they mean it, right? So that is out. And then of course I put out a new instrumental record. It's called 2021 Part Two nickel beats and that's really fun to listen to people are doing the fire emoji thing again so check that out too so listen to new music by peanuts and corn and brandon comes out in two weeks and more music is coming good things are happening thanks for listening see you next time goodbye